Thank you. Thank you very much. You guys can grab your seats. It is so good to be here with you this morning. So good to see you. I hope you are well. Um, How good is it that we can just get together like this every single week? I don't know how it feels like you've come in, whether it's, you know, felt like a run, a walk, or maybe a crawl just to get here. Um, But I'm glad that you are here because I believe that while God speaks to us collectively, um, he also speaks to us so personally. And when we open the word of God together, I believe that there is power and potency in what he deposits into our hearts. And so this morning, I hope that we can just get out of the way of what it is that he wants to say to us, that we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, um, all that he has for us. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Is that right? Why don't we pray and we'll get straight into it. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're here, that your presence is with us wherever we go. And so God, no matter what our weeks looked like, no matter what it is that we're uh, carrying with us, God, I thank you that we can fix our eyes on you, that you see all of us wholly and completely, but that you draw near to us anyway, that you see our mess, you see our brokenness, and you love us through it. And more than that, that you give us encouragement through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may grow in your likeness. We pray as we open your word this morning that we would just have hearts and ears to hear and that we would clear the way for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to get stuck straight into it because we've got a little bit to get through this morning. We're going to start right at the beginning. So if you do have your Bible here, uh, you can flick right to the front to the book of Genesis. So Genesis means the origin or the process of formation. And so this book speaks to the beginning of all earthly existence, including our own. Um, it speaks to where, you know, how everything came about, the early moments of humanity navigating uh, the, the impact of sin. And so we're going to look right now at Genesis 3. And this account involves Adam and Eve, which, you know, I'm sure we're all fairly familiar with the story. And this occurs right after both eat of the fruit that was forbidden by God. And it's at this point that sin enters the picture, the brokenness of humanity. This is the moment that God's created and perfect world is disrupted. Sin enters the picture and here's what happens. We're going to read in Genesis 3 uh, verses 7 to 10. It says, The eyes of both of them, referring to Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Sin enters the picture. And what is it that we see that comes with it? We see shame. We see shame. We see the shame of of them noticing their nakedness. The shame that has come from the realization of what they've done. And so what is it that they do next? What is their very next response? They cover themselves. They run and they hide from God. This is the impact of shame. 
Right from the moment that sin enters the picture, we see shame take hold and distort humanity's view of itself and of God. And while this happened thousands of years ago, I believe that we can have the same response. When shame has us in its chokehold, when shame is, when we're carrying shame, we too can cover ourselves. We can cover our lives. We can cover ourselves with things that are made to distract from the reality of what's going on. We too can run and hide from God because shame is the humiliation of self. And I think it's important that we make a distinction between guilt and shame because these two are not the same. Guilt looks at what you have done, where shame looks at who you are. Guilt will speak to your action, where shame will speak to your identity. You know, whether it's the the product of something that you've done or something that's been done to you, shame will manifest as a voice that, that tries to speak to who you are. It will absolutely erode your sense of self. It completely and entirely warps your perspective of who you are and tries to make you believe that you are the sum of your failings and shortcomings, that you are the sum of every mistake that you have ever made, that your struggles are not just something that you experience, but that are inextricably woven into the fabric of your identity. Shame doesn't say that you made a mistake. Shame says you are a mistake. Shame doesn't say you messed up. It says you are messed up. And so when shame takes a foothold in our life, it absolutely changes the way we see ourselves and the way that we see God. Because so often our response is just like Adam and Eve's. We cover ourselves, we put on a mask, we hide behind it and we withdraw from relationship with God because in our fear, we believe ourselves to be too broken, too messy. And so shame can take root in the darkness because we hide it away. You know, maybe it's financial mishaps. Maybe it's relationship struggles or breakdown. Maybe it's mental health issues. Maybe it's situations of abuse or trauma. Maybe it's addiction struggles. Maybe it's gambling issues. Maybe it's your internet browsing history. Maybe it's the impact of a past decision. Or maybe it's a combination of many of these things. But whatever it is, so often our response is to keep it hidden. We put on a mask that says, everything's okay. We put on a mask to try and deceive the people around us. We can come to to church on a Sunday wearing that mask saying, it's all good. I've got it all together. And it can look good on the surface. But you can't hide from shame's impact. It will sit there and it will erode your sense of self until you feel completely defined by the struggle. That's the power of shame. But can I say, church, that that is not how it is meant to be. That is not how God created it to be. And I'm so thankful for Genesis 3 because while it highlights the toxicity of shame, while it highlights the impact of shame on our lives and the response that we can have, it also 
tells us that when we withdraw, we have a God that comes looking for us. We've got a God who comes to seek us. That when we hide away, we have a God who draws near. See, shame is like mold. It thrives in the darkness. And if it's left dormant, if it's left alone, it continues to grow and grow and expand and reproduce until it just becomes this overwhelming thing. And in the same way, shame thrives in the shadows of secrecy. It thrives in secrecy. It will tell you that you need to hide the messiest parts of yourself because you are so unlovable. But Psalm 34 verse 5 says this, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. See, darkness hides things. Darkness hides things. And so in the darkness of shame, we're not able to recognize, we're not able to identify who it is we've been created to be. But when we allow the light to come in, Light reveals. And so when the light of God comes flooding into every part of who we are, when we hold nothing back, it illuminates the truth of who we were created to be. It highlights the truth of our identity. When we turn our face toward Him, to the light of His love, the light of His truth illuminates every part of who we are. And in that light, the veil of shame cannot exist. Shame cannot exist in the light of his presence because in that light, the spirit of God begins to speak to our hearts and begins to dispel any lie that shame has spoken over us. Any lie that's, that's tried to tell you who you are that does not align with who it is that God created you to be begins to break the, cho- the chokehold and the chains of shame that have kept you shackled. Because shame was never meant to have a part in the story. If we look back at Genesis, right before this decision, right before Genesis 3, right before the fall of humanity, right before sin enters the picture, we get a glimpse of God's perfect order. We get a glimpse into the world as it was created to be. And right after God creates mankind, as he creates Adam and Eve, and they take in the world around them. Genesis 2 says this in verse 25. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And I think that this is interesting because we're talking about the experience of God's perfect will, of God's perfect order. And there are so many other ways that this could be described. The author could have written that they knew no fear, that they knew no struggle, that they felt no pain. But no, what was God's perfect order? That they would feel no shame. And this is his same desire for us. See, the process of relationship with Christ is conforming to his image, growing in his likeness. And so when we align our perspective with his way of seeing, we're reminded of how it was meant to be. We're brought back to Genesis 2, where it was that we were never created to know shame. But if we let shame steer us, 
if we allow it to grow in secrecy and in shadows and in solitude, then we will be held back from experiencing the very best that God has for our life. If we let it steer us, we will be held back, not because God withholds it. In fact, it's entirely the opposite. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, church, we have a God who knows that we could not overcome shame on our own. And so he made a perfect way through Jesus. He made a way that is fully dependent on who Jesus is, on Jesus' action alone, on Jesus' cross alone. And through the power of this cross, Shame's potency has been undone. It has been defeated. And so as Paul says, we can now cast off anything and everything that hinders us and we can run with our eyes fixed on Jesus because the truth releases us from shame. The truth releases us from shame. Shame says, how could you be loved? How could you be worthy? But God says you cannot undo with bad behaviour what you didn't earn with good behaviour. There may never be, there may be things in your life that you have to work through. There may be a process of healing and restoration. But there is never a point where God's grace and his love wavers towards you because it was never dependent on you to begin with. You can't undo with bad behaviour what you didn't earn with good behaviour. God says, walk in my victory. Walk in the victory that was paid by, by my sacrifice on the cross. Walk in that victory. Don't cast your eyes back to the past, to what you've done. It has no power because I've taken the power of sin and shame. And I now give you my victory. And all we have to do is walk in it. You know, when I was, um, when I was 18, I think, um, I was driving my car to the other side of Toowoomba and um, as I was driving, I was in this long line of traffic and I was wedged between all these, all these cars. We were pretty much nose to, to bumper, you know, yeah. And we were um, backed up and I felt like the car behind me was just so close. Like every time I would brake, it felt like that car was right on top of me and I was getting really nervous because I thought that car's about to, you know, run up. And so I would just glance back every now and again and I was uh, going through this intersection and I just happened to glance back. And in that moment, boom, I run into the car in front of me and that car runs into the car in front of it. And um, I wasn't insured, which is a side note, so that was, you know, a little bit of fun. It was all just a little bit of a mess. But why did this happen? How did this happen? Because my attention was so much more focused on what was behind me than what was ahead of me. You know, the rear view mirror is so much smaller than the windscreen. And that's because what is behind you is far less important than what's ahead of you. 
Philippians chapter 3 verses 10 to 14 says this. It says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, Paul says, I don't have it all worked out. I don't have it all together. I haven't got all that Jesus has to give me. There's a journey, there's a process. It's never a destination that you receive because there's always more in Jesus. There's always more for us to grow in. But when, when we have shame as our perspective, it will keep you rooted in the past. It will keep your eyes fixed on what is behind you. It will keep your eyes fixed on the things that, that have happened that you can't actually change. You can't go back and alter it, but it will also say that you have no way of going forward, that there is nothing ahead of you. And so it will keep you in its grasp. Shame will tell you that, that you can't seek help that you can't be open, that you can't be honest about the struggle, that you certainly aren't worthy of a relationship with God, that if you're honest and if you reveal your personal struggle, you will be rejected, that you will be judged. Shame will make you believe that you're not worthy of the future that God has for you. But when we take the struggles out of darkness when we take it out of hiding, when we bring it into the light, into the radiance of who God is, just like Psalm 34 says, the Spirit of God begins to guide us and empower us in the truth of who God is and begins to speak to the identity that we have in Him. It begins to break the lies that shame has spoken over you. Romans 8.15 says this, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That is who you are. That is who we are, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what your struggle looks like. That is who you are, that God would call us sons and daughters. That is the unshakable identity that we have through Jesus. We have a God who comes looking for us, who seeks us. And through the power of His Spirit, we say, we're not going to run anymore. We're not going to hide anymore. He reminds us that we are sons and we are daughters, that we are loved and that we are cherished by a God who holds the keys to victory over sin and shame and condemnation, that it has no power to speak to us. Just as we were singing before, that shame doesn't speak to us now. Mercy speaks to us. The power of the cross speaks to our identity. That is who we are. We may feel like there's no way forward, But Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. In the darkness of shame, we're not able to recognize who we've been created to be. But the light of God reveals the truth of our identity. If I could have the team join me. 
taking hold of all that Jesus has for us, taking hold of every promise. How do we do that? We forget what is behind and we press on to what is ahead. What is ahead of us? The promises that God has for us, the promise of hope, the promise of peace, the promise of restoration. That is the victory that we can walk in day by day, conforming to his image, promises that we can take hold of and walk in. Not because of anything we do, not because we make ourselves worthy, but because of who he is. Taking hold of every promise. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, For once you were in darkness, but now you're in light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live as children of light. When our eyes are fixed on the rearview mirror, that's all we can see. Shame speaks to us and says, that's all you will ever be. You will only ever be the sum of your mistakes. You will only ever be the sum of your shortcomings. You will never get past your past. You can never get past your mess. It's too big. If you reveal that to anyone, who's going to love you? Who's going to think you're worthy? And so because of that, we hide, we withdraw. We think, all right, I'm going to barricade myself in. I'll put on a mask. I'll hide behind it. I'll pretend that everything's all good. But underneath it, shame takes hold and begins to grow and grow and grow. And through it erodes your identity an identity that was never actually meant to be yours because through the power of Jesus, through what he did on the cross, he's given us a new identity. A new identity, not, not based on our performance, not based on our works, not based on anything that we bring, but on who he is alone. That you are so loved that God would give his all and his best in Jesus simply so that a way could be made for us to know him. You know, Adam and Eve, they hid. They hid in fear. And God knew what had happened. God knew what had been done. But what does he do? He goes looking for them. He seeks them out. And it's the same for you. Whatever it is that you're carrying, nothing is too great for the light of his power, the light of his love. And maybe you're here and you're like, Oh, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been carrying. You don't know my shame. I don't. I'll be honest. I don't know. But I know that God does. And what does he do? He draws near. He says, I see you. I see all of you. I see past the mask. I see past the barricades that you build around yourself. I see past anything that you may present to pretend to have it all together. I see past it. I see the mess. I know that you're broken. I know that you're dealing with stuff, but I'm going to draw near to you anyway because I have a future for you to take hold of. That is what God says to you. But all we have to do is say, okay, no more running, no more hiding, to step out of the darkness, of the the shadow of shame and step into the light of who God has called us to be. You know, it seems so shocking. It seems absolutely crazy that a perfect God would draw near to us, would draw near to our imperfection, that he would draw near to our unloveliness. But church, that is grace. It doesn't make sense, but it's ours anyway. 
And all we need to do is say, no more running, no more hiding. I surrender to who you are, God. I turn my eyes from the past. I turn my eyes from what's behind me and fix my eyes on all that you have ahead of me. For the best is yet to come. Now, why don't you stand with me as we finish up? Before we finish, I feel like it would only be appropriate to give people an opportunity to respond because I think that in this room, maybe you're here listening to this message, these words, and you're thinking, that's me. I am carrying some stuff that I've hidden in secrecy, that I've carried in solitude, thinking it too great, thinking it too overwhelming for anyone else to deal with. I don't even want to deal with it. Perhaps you're here and you feel like you've been walking around with a mask. You feel like you've been hiding the reality of what's actually going on under the surface. That there are some real struggles. There's some real pain that you're dealing with. But shame has taken hold. And you feel like, I can't move forward. I don't know what to do. I feel stuck. Because all I can see is the mistakes that I've made, are my failings, are the, are the things that have made me feel inadequate. When I think, when I look in the mirror, when I'm faced with the reality of who I am, that's all I see. Maybe that's you here. Shame can, can look like so many things. Like I said, it could be relational issues. It could be financial issues. It could be something that you feel has taken root of your life that you can't stop doing. Addiction issues. And we can hide it in secrecy, feeling like it's too messy. But we have a God who comes looking. We have a God who draws near. And so this morning, I want to give you the opportunity, if that is you, and you're here and you're saying, I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to hide anymore. I want to experience the best that God has for my life. I don't want anything to hold me back. I don't want to be a captive of fear and shame any longer. If that's you, I'm going to get every single person here with their eyes closed for privacy. If that's you, just pop your hand up and I'd love to pray for you. You know, just as Paul said, it's never something that we take hold of. There's never a destination that we arrive to in our relationship with Christ. There's always more. And sometimes it may feel like you've taken some steps back, that you were once so much further ahead than you are now. That's okay. That's what God's grace is for. He still comes looking for you. He still wants to draw near to you. So if that's you, just pop your hand up. If you're here and you're saying, I don't want to run anymore. I want to step out of the secrecy, step out of the shadows and into his light. Just pop your hand up and I'll pray for you. Thank you. God, I thank you for each heart that has responded to you, that has said, God, you know what? There's no place for shame in my story. God, I want to align my perspective. I want to align myself with who it is that you've created me to be. God, that shame would not speak to my identity any longer. 
but that I would take hold of every promise that you have set before me, the promise of who you are, the promise of who I am in you. God, I thank you that you draw near to us, that despite every jagged edge of our heart, despite every shattered piece, despite every mess that we may feel that we carry, God, that you never withdraw that there is nothing that we can do, nothing we can think, nothing we can go through that would cause you to recoil from us. God, that in your love and in your grace, you see us fully, mess and all, and you draw near regardless, that you look for us, even when we've withdrawn, even when we've hidden, that you give us an opportunity to come back. We thank you for who you are. And so God, I just pray that as we step out of here today, as we leave this auditorium, that we would just walk in confidence in the victory that you've obtained for us. That we would remember that it's not by our works, but it's by what you accomplished for us on the cross and through the power of your resurrection that we can now live in victory. Shame has no say over who we are, has no say over our future. We commit our future to you and say, have your way. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, church. Um, You know, it is so shocking when we think about who God is, that he would love us so much He never wavers. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so whether it's relevant to you now or whether you find yourself in a position down the track where maybe you have picked up some sort of struggle that's caused shame, remember this. Remember that there is nothing that you can do that will cause God to draw away from you, that there is always more that you are not the sum of your failings, that you are not the sum of your mistakes, but that you are called sons and daughters. Come on, Tim's going to take us out with one last song.